0: Please let me introduce three inspiring women, social worker Suzanne Rochon, psychotherapist Carmen Jelly, and educator April Porter. They wear many hats such as practitioners, leaders, best-selling authors, entrepreneurs, moms, and wellness transformation mavens. Together their creative conversations encourage and support you to make deep personal changes and reclaim your inner strength, power, and authenticity. They explore how change is made possible using strategies and practices from a blend of neuroscience, psychology, Eastern and Western philosophies, compassionate inquiry, and much more. Yes, returning to the real you, who is hiding behind habits, survival strategies, and protective personality parts. Each episode is a deep dive into all things wellness for your body, mind, and soul. They share deep, intimate, reflective, and raw conversations with the risky intent to encourage, inspire, educate, and empower you to uncover, unlock, and unleash your best and most real self. With their raw, risky, and real approach, they will take you on a journey from wounds to wellness and your return to real, your perfectly imperfect you. Here are Suzanne, Carmen, and April.
1: Hello Carmen and Suzanne. How are you doing this Good morning? morning? Good morning.
2: It's so amazing to be here with the two of you again. Beautiful yeah. Saturday mornings. It's
3: so we are back. The sun is shining. Yes. <laughs>
1: yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We are back to chat a little bit more about uh, Atlas of the Heart and so we are discovering Um, chapter by chapter what that looks like and how to unveil and demystify um, emotions and what that looks like. And um, I'm so blessed and privileged to be here speaking with both of you and I can't wait to delve into this conversation. So we should start. Um, And before we head into chapters three and four, um, I wanted to go back to the intro a little bit and just talk about what the title of the book looks like and it is a beautiful book and how it relates to an atlas and so i thought it was really interesting how she compared <clears throat> the emotions and the the map make the meaning of maps in emotions in comparison to uh, looking at a geographical map and i thought, well that's really interesting and she does say that you know that we are the map makers and we are also the travelers so It's uh, really interesting when you look at the 87 different emotions that she's uh, researched and sort of mapped that out in a way that we can all appreciate and understand. So I just wanted to mention that before we um, Mm -hmm. head into the content. And so we'll start with chapter three, which is the places we go when things don't go as planned. So this is a good one. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's a good one for me, and I'm sure for our listeners as well, um, that that has happened throughout our lives, that, you know, things don't always happen as we think they should or that we want them to, even when we've um, done all the work and put a lot of effort into it. So the emotions in this chapter are uh, boredom, disappointment, expectations, regret, discouragement, resignation, and frustration. So starting there she starts with boredom and boredom to me has always been sort of a negative thing and I really liked how she explained that it is it can be the beginning of creativity and so um, yeah I think that that's really an interesting place to start. Uh, Suzanne what do you think?
2: I loved that. Um, I loved her, the definition of boredom and where she went with it, because, and, you know, the part about sort of the creativity, she says, boredom is your imagination calling you. And you guys know how I feel about the word imagination and imagine. Yes.
0: Um,
2: and that really, really spoke to me. But I loved the reframe, right? Um Because, and and I think we talked about this during the last podcast, sometimes, and this is why language is so important, and it's important for us to delve in deeper and deeper into it to really, really, really understand it. But sometimes we put a spin and we attach a judgment to a particular word. I have, I've always, I've always, you know, used boredom in a more negative context right and this helped me really reframe it because she talks about um um you know it's actually it's actually an opportunity for us to go into a space that we wouldn't have ordinarily gone into so rather than um you know It's it's rather than uh, oh, and I'm trying to find it. Why can't I find it now? I had it anyhow. But rather than going into that space where you know we feel either you know lethargic or out of control, we can use the word and say, ah, this is where I can now go. So I loved 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 that part of it. What about you, Carm?
3: Yeah, it, like, I think I know what you're the part you're thinking of, because it was so impactful for me, if it's, it's when, if I assign a task to myself, and I, I can feel um, frustration. So, right, um, I can feel lethargic, if I assign something to myself, and I'm not really thrilled about it, then I can feel tired. But if someone else, maybe you assign me a task, Suzanne, and I don't like that task, but then I can feel frustrated. So that's when I don't have control over it or less autonomy. And I thought that was a real um, nice shift to reflect on because that that really made sense for me. Yeah, but in, what you're both saying is so powerful too because I've always looked at boredom as often as a negative piece, but it absolutely is powerful if it's your imagination calling you. And I think of the studies done on children and attention. This came up for me when I was reading this chapter because if, 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 or adults as well, if we're always engaged in structure and um, tasks and moving on from the next project to the next project um, and kids, if they're on, you know, um, you know playing their video games or uh, you know attached to things that are that are always um you know structured i guess is the word i'm looking for then there is no sort of downtime for that imagination and creativity to come into their lives and i see it with now with my grandsons who are 2 and 4 right there's a part of me that always wants to keep, you know keep moving forward let's do this and then let's do that and but if i just relax and, and step back there I've witnessed how powerful that imagination that creativity can come in and and like you know all of a sudden they're building they're creating they're drawing they're they're just doing things and it's pretty pretty awesome to watch I think it's I think that boredom is something that we um that has a different meaning after you you look at it that way
2: Yeah. And I love that point, Carm. I love, love, love that point. Because, you know, when we think of the way that we parent now, as opposed to the way that we parented before, right, we tend to keep our kids really, really active, and really engaged in really structured activity. And, you know, what you're saying is, sometimes that that doesn't allow us or doesn't allow them to enter the realm of imagination. And we know that, that the realm of imagination is so key for them. So as a parent, the minute you hear your kids and, you know, I think back to my kids, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored. And as a parent, our automatic reaction is to say, okay, well, let's, let's do something
0: right. Mm -hmm, Let's mm -hmm. end
2: the boredom. So we actually then reinforce the negative perception of boredom. Yeah. Right, rather yeah. than saying, "Oh, what? A, wow, you're bored. That's
1: beautiful."
2: <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's that shift from doing to being, right? And that space in between to really reflect on what it is the imagination is calling you to do. Yeah, really great. Um, and then we move into disappointment. So we go from boredom to disappointment. And I like how she says uh, disappointment is unmet expectations and um, they can be unexamined and unexpressed such as stealth expectations, or they can be expressed, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so how many times have we in our lives felt a sense of disappointment Um, and based on our own expectations of ourselves or our own expectations of those around us. Um, And sometimes those expectations are communicated really well and we're still disappointed or sometimes we don't communicate them and we uh, make assumptions about what others should be doing. And then again, we are disappointed. So um, I know that this is a very familiar emotion to me and I think that it can Um, be expressed in many different areas of our lives it can be the professional the personal as a parent with your partner with friends and um, I really like how she talks about um, our accountability in that
2: Mm -hmm. yeah that was a big one for me, April. Like that was huge. It was huge. I'm going to go back. I'm going to read it again. And I'm going to read it again, because Mm -hmm. it brought up so many things for me. It is extremely familiar to me as well. And as I was reading it, um, and it's something that I've sort of worked on and explored for myself, because I remember, you know, when my kids were young, my favorite and i thought it was a better thing at the time i thought it was a you know a better thing to to say and i would say i'm not angry i'm disappointed oh and now i think about how heavy that was for them to carry that right um but what i recognize now and what the you know and what the book has really helped me um uh to to, to um, deepen that understanding is that they were expectations that I had that they had no idea about. I had a movie going on in my mind and they didn't know what their part was. They didn't have the script. They knew none of it, right? And that's not just, that doesn't just happen in parenting. Like you said, it happens across um, you know, really any relationship that we have. One of the things that I've said, and I say it a lot, is um, you know, uh, expectations create suffering. That's what creates our suffering, right? If we can eliminate some of the expectations, we can reduce our, our we can go from suffering to pain. Pain is natural. One of the things that I absolutely loved, loved, loved about, um, you know, when she talked about um, uh, expectations was uh, paint done. So when you ask somebody to do something, or when you place an expectation, it's so incredibly important to be super clear about it. And to tell them what done means to you because otherwise they don't they don't know and that's an absolute setup for disappointment so I can just keep going on this particular (laughs) one because it's like huge for me um those are the things that really really some of the things that really stood out for me
3: yeah this was a big one for me too and I wish I knew how to do this the first 30 years of my life you know, it's, um, I think what really came up for me was when she's talking about, we need to examine what our intentions are and the, and the part about reality testing our expectations because we, you know, it's, it's magical thinking when I assume that my husband knows what I want or what I'm, you know, and we're, I think we're all like this with people that we're close in relationship with, whether it's our our children or our good friends, we just we can think, well, they 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 should know what I want or what I need. I shouldn't have to ask for it. And um, Brene gives this beautiful example of of talking about this um, when she was really disappointed the first year of her marriage on her birthday, and and in the discussion with her therapist, it boiled down to, you know, why why don't you ask for what you need? Is it's because you don't think you are worthy? You know, and I was like, "Whoa! <laughs> it's it's just so connected." You know, disappointment, and it's so connected to how we communicate our, ex, you know, and the stealth expectations. Examining what your what you want, what your intention for that is, and and then the shifting into being able to ask for it and talk about it. Reality check. Yeah. I have to do that a lot yeah. with myself, reality check, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And that connection between self-worth and being able to express what you need or what you want is really interesting to me because it is difficult, right? Again, that word vulnerability comes up and it's really difficult to express your needs or your wants to those closest to you at times. Um, and I I really do think it is connected to how we how we view ourselves, how what is our self worth? We are worthy of this. And um, she does state on page 48 that when someone shares their hopes and dreams with us, we are witnessing deep courage and vulnerability and celebrating their successes is easy, but when disappointment happens, it's an incredible opportunity for meaningful connection. And so I thought that that was a, a really big part of uh, disappointment as well.
2: I agree, April. And that's the premise of the entire book, right? Is to build deeper and deeper connections. And what an opportunity, right? To be able to do that when somebody has shared, you know, sort of their, their deepest hopes and dreams, and it just really didn't turn out that way. And that's, that's the chapter when things just don't go as planned, which is life. Things Mm -hmm. aren't Always going to go as planned, but but we have, and and that's the crossroads. I, I, I see all of our you know, all of these different emotions that we all there's a crossroads, um, because we you know, it's not about not having the emotion, we're going to have the emotion. We're human beings, these are all part of our experience, but. How we choose to be with the emotion and how we choose to respond or react, that's the choice that we have. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I just love that, love that opportunity to really look at things differently.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And that's where the power is, right? That's where the empowerment sits and it's there for us
3: for the connection right? we're, we're quick to maybe jump in and celebrate our winnings or our victories with each other but we it's awkward it takes courage to show up and make meaningful connection when when we ourselves experience disappointment or someone close to us does uh, there's courage and vulnerability there mm-hmm.
2: absolutely yeah.
3: one thing i did...
2: think oh, go ahead karen no um
3: i was just like that brings up the whole other thing she talks about is that there are too many people in the world today who decide to live disappointed rather than risk feeling disappointed
1: huge huge like
3: you know Mm -hmm. it's
1: um and i've done it i i've done it it's safe to sit on the sidelines right Mm -hmm. it's safe to sit up in the Uh, The seats rather than get into that arena and sometimes get your ass kicked. (laughs) Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, So it's, it's, I I understand that and I do see it as well. Um, And that brings us right into regret, right? (laughs) It really does. So sitting on the sidelines, being safe and just staying there can at times, create some regrets. And uh, so she explains that both disappointment and regret arise when an outcome was not what we wanted, counted on, or thought would happen. But with regret, we believe the outcome was caused by our decisions or actions. And so that is really interesting to me in that um, disappointment can be from uh, you know outer situations, but regret is based on our own inaction or action. And um, and, and it can come in many different forms and in many different parts of our lives and in many different times throughout our lives as well. Um, And I have a little sticky here though, that um, right next to how regret is related to empathy. And I thought that was so interesting Um, and that, regret emerged, emerges in the research as a function of empathy. Yeah.
2: That's really interesting to me because I had never seen regret that way. Right. We hear, and I've said it often, right. I want to live a life of, with no regrets. Um, and not, and like you, I've spent, you know, time, uh, with regrets. Um, but that's really not, that's really not the goal. And, and I love that she says the idea of no regrets doesn't mean living with courage, it means living without reflection. So unless you have regrets, you don't have the opportunity to reflect. And to live without regret is to believe we have nothing to learn, no amends to make and no opportunity to be braver with our lives. So really regret brings us in that space of being able to reflect and grow and develop and learn and to be, I think in a way to be our best selves, it brings us into that space. So that was another reframe for me that I actually hadn't, I, I hadn't, um, I hadn't thought about it yeah. in that way before. So really, really powerful um, for me
3: places we go is you know the theme as we mentioned about this book but regret is a heavy heavy one for me and and like how April mentioned that you know there's a lot of self-blame sometimes so we can we can really unpack in that space and stay in regret and I think we have to we have to be able to develop some self-compassion and empathy towards ourselves when we're feeling regret so that we can shift into what you were talking about Suzanne the learning you know what what's my takeaway the self reflection so you know the inner, the inner critic the judge that those parts of ourselves can get really loud when we're in regret and it is heavy heavy and so bringing in that self compassion so that we can we can grow and learn and there is no such thing as a life with no regrets right and <laughs> and if you know and I understand where that mantra comes from because it's behind that is the wish and the hope that we just take risks right I think that's the meaning behind it I want to I want to take risks I want to grow I want to learn Um, but what's missing is yeah that's not possible to have no regrets and that that we do have to grow in terms of that self-reflection piece and learn and learn from our regrets and our mistakes
2: yeah and i think our culture perpetuates that magical thinking of you know just go out and take risks and you know just live within complete abandon and it'll yeah. all work out at least that's what we see on facebook right yeah what we see <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. but that's life
3: mm-hmm.
2: and and if we're going to take risks and if we're going to step out of our comfort zone and if we're going to be in the arena then things are just not always going to turn out the way that we had imagined them and that's that's okay that that can be actually a really beautiful place to be in Mm -hmm. it does start calm with you know self-compassion let's go back and let's say wonderful I I took the risk I did what I wanted to do I followed my dream and you know I didn't hit all the marks but I'm still okay and that's part of my experience and um and I can learn from it
1: absolutely and I I have that uh noted here that exact um Sentiment is sometimes the most uncomfortable learning is the most powerful. So, you know, and so that helps me to shift my thinking that at the end of my life, I do want to uh, move towards whatever's next (laughs) with no regrets, but maybe that's shifting to, I'm gonna move to whatever's next with peace in my heart. Mm-hmm. From an examined life. I love that. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. tough to do though.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um yeah. And so then we move on to the places we go when it's beyond us. And when I first read that sentence, I thought, oh goodness, where are we going now? (laughs) But then you look at the words underneath and it says awe, wonder, confusion, curiosity, interest and surprise. And so then I thought, oh, okay, let's go there. I can do this. Um, And she starts with awe and wonder. And I really, really like how she talks about both of those things um, in conjunction with each other, and that wonder fuels our passion for exploration and learning for curiosity and adventure. And so I wanted to start there with what you both think about these two emotions that are similar but different.
2: Yeah, it, it was an intre- it's an interesting chapter yeah, And I would never have thought, you know, if someone had have said, what do you think are, you know, some of the 87 emotions in the book, I would not have included awe and wonder. I don't know why. But I was actually quite curious about it when I saw it as well. And I had, and I loved the the definitions of them like wonder inspires the wish to understand right so it brings you into that space of wanting to go deeper into it whereas awe inspires the wish to shine to acknowledge to unite to come together so when i think about time in nature for me there's that's ah, oh, oh my gosh, wow! Like you know, the, the 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 walk on a snowy, cold, snowy day. oh, so so, and I go into that sense of wanting to be a part of that, wanting to unite with that part of myself that's gr- you know greater than myself. Um, I, I, I left the chapter or I left this part thinking to myself, I need, I need more reflection on wonder and awe. And I need, I need to reflect on or I want to reflect on where this brings me. How do I bring wonder and awe into my life on a more regular basis? Uh, yeah, and I also wondered. There, that's that's funny. I wondered about wonder, but I wondered if I actually experience it without the awareness of the experience. So, so the exploration hmm. of these two words actually left me wanting to explore a little bit more. So maybe they left me, well, they left me in wonder. There is. Left you in.
3: I love the way she just you know, kind of separates these two because we do use them interchangeably, awe and wonder. And when I sat back and reflected on it, wonder was more of the, and I think she described it this way too, the thinking cognitive part, which leads us to explore and curiosity, in, and into curiosity. And the awe is like it's just that whole feeling sensation. And I'm, um, I really paused when I was reading this to reflect on that. And, and I, you know, when were the moments in my life where I had that complete takeover of awe, right? And I, and I remember the first time in my life that I saw the mount, mountains in Alberta, Banth area. And I was probably, yeah, I was in my mid forties. It was the first time I stood before these majestic mountains. And my breath was actually taken away and I was, and I was crying. Like I was in complete awe. And, um, and I couldn't really think of very many moments like that. You know, the birth of my, my three children, the birth of my grandsons of absolutely hands down more awe, right? Because there's, there's sometimes just no words. You just have no words. You're in the experience and it's just like, wow, mind-blowing, actually. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And from what you're both saying is that, you know, there are those moments that are cemented in our memory about awe, uh, whether it's looking at a mountain or, you know, looking at something in your natural environment that you are just in awe of. Uh, But there's also those everyday things that we maybe aren't as aware of Mm -hmm. But if we think back, I can think back to looking at, you know, a butterfly or a bee in a flower and just looking at it in awe of, wow, like their place in this world and what they do and how they interact with the flower in that moment. I am in awe of that, right? I really am in awe of that. But to stop and recognize it, to notice it
3: that's the that's the big part right there is taking the time to slow down yeah mm-hmm.
1: and notice yeah yeah so from there we go to confusion which was a little weird <laughs> <laughs> going from on wonder and then i flipped the page to confusion curiosity and interest and i was like okay yeah settle in. <laughs> let's go um but as she, she explains uh, the zone of optimal confusion, it brought me towards my, um, my bachelor of education uh, knowledge in the, the zone of proximal development, right? So you're thinking about um, where that zone is and remember feeling as a child or looking at children in general or e- even adults as well, when they're learning something new it can be very trying, right? It can be very tough. Um, and there's that zone between the knowledge I have already and the experience that I have already to um, achieve this task or understand this concept is there, but I'm not quite there for this new one. And so in that zone, it's a little bit the same, right? The zone of optimal confusion is that there's so much going on and there's information coming in and you're using what you already know and you're looking towards what you can't possibly know and you're trying to uh, meld all of that together to have this new knowledge going forward. And so it really did make me think of that um, zone of proximal development, because as educators, that's the zone that you're looking for with your students. You're looking for that zone where they, they're able to achieve this task with a little bit of help, and then they are able to move forward to the next task.
2: Mm, that's really powerful, April, because again, it shifts, like it shifts our mindset around the word confusion. Right. And even the visual of confusion, you know, if we were to all paint, you know, how we imagine confusion, it, it would be, there would be a little bit of chaos, it would be, you know, maybe on the darker side, it would be mixed up, right, there'd be lots of things going on. But when we think about it, and when we explore it, confusion is actually what can lead to motivation, right? And that deeper learning. So it allows us to go into a space where we wouldn't have ordinarily. Confusion helps with problem solving, which is what you were, you know, what you're essentially talking about. So I don't, so, so while we know the science in terms of, you know, what it does for for kids and how we can also relate it to adults and to say, yeah, you know what, being in a confused state or experiencing confusion about and we we do it all the time you know there are parts in us that there are different parts that are you know when we're we're confused about uh you mm-hmm. know where we're going in life the, our relationship what the next step is decisions but again that creates an environment for discovery. And, and unless we are in those uncomfortable positions, we're never going to move. And confusion allows us that little bit of discomfort. Sometimes it's a lot of discomfort, but it allows us enough discomfort to be able to say, okay, I need to do something different in this space. So love loved loved the exploration of confusion i know it comes up a lot comes it's come up a lot in my life it comes up a lot with clients as well right because we have a huge world and things are complex um so yeah
3: yeah. Mm -hmm. As I'm listening to you, every math class I've ever taken in my life comes up for me in terms of confusion, right? And so I I held such a negative connotation with the word confusion, like I could just feel it vibrating in my body. But I love how I can, I've softened now that I've read this chapter, right? And so I don't have to be so hard on myself now, because that was kind of ingrained in me when I felt confusion, the you know, like the expert part, you got to get it right. And this isn't okay to feel confused, right? The inner critic, it can get really loud. But I love the gentle approach to this is confusion is okay. It helps us dig in a bit deeper. And I remember taking, like being really afraid and in, in doing my undergrad and having to take some some math and some research design and just the fear I had. Um, but that that confusion maybe dig, a, dig in a little more work a little harder right and and there was tremendous personal growth for me because of that so I, I like how she links confusion to curiosity and interest right if we allow confusion to to be our a good friend it can lead us into curiosity and interest rather than push it away or or just quit because that's something I would do just quit hmm
1: yeah absolutely that disengagement right that avoiding instead of going through those muddy waters to come out the other side yeah absolutely Um, and I love how she talks about curiosity and interest as well Um, and that they are a little bit different you know they look at she looks at um, interest as more of a cognitive openness to engaging with the topic of experience so for example when Uh, thinking about how she's connected this book to a geographical atlas and she talks about that she has always had an interest in geography and, and maps and stuff like that. I'm like okay yeah I could see that I would be interested in that, but I'm not really curious about it. Um, maybe because I'm not a geography expert and I don't have that knowledge or I don't have that much of an interest in it. And then she talks about curiosity as sort of recognizing a gap in our knowledge, but we do have a knowledge base in that subject area and we want to learn more and we want to discover and we want to find answers and collaborate together to further develop uh, our skills, right?
2: Yeah. And I loved the link between, you know, being curious involves vulnerability. Right. Mm. Because there's in, in curiosity, you have to be willing to go to uncertainty. And that's, that is difficult because we have to, we have to ask questions. We have to admit to not knowing. And those are the risks, right. That we need to take. Um, yeah, the curiosity. Um, I, I loved, um, I loved, you know, in terms of curiosity, that gap in um, the knowledge, right? Like that just, and, and it's another one where it's like, okay, I need to spend some time because I need to, I need to understand curiosity differently than the way, or I need to process it internally. Um, and understand it differently than I think I have understood it before. It leads, it actually leaves me with more questions. Yeah. (laughs) Or in that pun, you really get the puns today, Suzanne. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Yeah, curiosity is a quality that we develop as a therapist. When we're authentic, we can be curious. And for me, it's... um, it's opposite to wanting to be expert or showing or my when my expert part of myself gets overactivated, I lose curiosity. Because I think I need to know where I have all the answers, right? And curiosity is the opposite. And uh, I love what you said, and and Bernice says it, it is choosing to be vulnerable and surrendering to the uncertainty. And if we when we get curious about ourselves and other people, you know, it's just—it's so expansive. Like the relationship just opens up, and and new things can unfold. You know that—that's even when we're talking about awe and wonder, it can lead us there too, right? You know, it's just that dance that we do together.
2: And I would say that curiosity. You know, we talked about expectations just a few moments ago, right? When we're in the space of curiosity. It, that's and you know we've we've said that it's the uncertainty we have to be completely open so we can't walk into it with expectations of ourselves and expectations of others so mm-hmm. so it, it it removes us if we're able to go there it removes us from setting some of those expectations and also some of the judgments that we often attach to situations right it's almost like a blank slate and that's sort of how I visualize it right it's sort of in my mind it looks very white and very blank and it's um there's a bit of a surrender there's a Mm -hmm. surrender to whatever comes up is I'm is okay um so that's how I sort of visually process it um and um yeah
1: yeah it's yeah it's interesting that you say that when you say you know you can see sort of a blank landscape ahead of you um being open to whatever the outcome is meant to be and I think that for myself I see sort of multiple roads if I'm trying to not be fixated on one outcome I can at least look at multiple ways of how this can go and maybe that's still a little bit too uh, controlling in, in what I expect, <laughs> right? Okay, if it's, it's for, if it's from A to E, I'll be okay, one of those <laughs> roads, but um, <laughs> I think mm-hmm. that however we view it, at least if we're trying to be more curious about what could possibly happen, what the, the outcome could be, then we are we are more prepared for what will happen. And, and that's, you know, although uncomfortable where the growth will happen. And I think of, you know, in early learning, we use a pedagogy that is based on this. It's, you know, the environment is the third teacher, the educator as the co-learner. So you're walking with your students and and with children, and you're allowing them through provocations. So materials or the environment to provoke thought or interest, you're allowing them to lead the way and you don't know where it's going to go. And you don't know what that outcome is going to look like. And you could be You know, you could be learning about trees one minute and you could just be way over here learning about construction the next. You you know, you just, you're letting them and their curiosities guide the learning. And I think that uh, we can all use that pedagogy in our own lives.
2: April, it makes me think of um, you know, what you've just described is the shift between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. That's exactly what right. So yeah. it expands the possibilities. And that is so key when we are, you know, when we're doing our own inner work, is to expand the possibilities. Because when we're fixed on a certain path or a certain route, then nothing else exists and we're stuck there but with curiosity we're able to explore some of these other possibilities that are open to us
1: absolutely absolutely and then a question that I was thinking while you were saying that Suzanne is so how how then do we go from that I've put all this work into this, this should be the outcome, Two, okay, I've put all my effort into this, I've done a really good job, I've, you know, I've done the work, how am I going to be okay with whatever happens next?
2: Mm.
1: That's tough.
2: That's tough. It's tough, but there's a path. And I think, you know, the, the The awareness and the recognition and even the pausing to ask the question is the first step.
3: Mm-hmm. It's, it's attached to our expectations that we, I think too, and, and flexibility versus being rigid in what our beliefs are about an outcome. Yeah. Pausing and reflecting yeah. on the intention. Yeah.
1: Yes, the intention is a really good word to use here. And um, I think that what you're both saying is um, allowing yourself to surrender to what will be.
2: Yeah. Which can take a lifetime. Yeah.
3: Yeah. When we look at young children, like April was talking about in the learning environment, they're so curious and that's, you know, a natural... Like she talks about the difference between states and traits with curiosity too, but if that's a part of our true authentic selves too. That curiosity, if we let our defenses down, our adapt, I you mean, know, we understand our adaptations, um, then our curiosity can grow. It can bubble up again. You know, we can allow it to to lead. You know, lead with our curiosity rather than our rigidity or um, inflexibility. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's a really good point, Carmen, answer to April's question is how do we get there, right? Just understanding why and how we adapted is, is you know, another one of the key steps. Um, because there is a reason why we are, f- you know, fixed on a certain path or have a particular type of thinking or behavior. Um, and we know there's a really, really, really good reason for that. When we start acquainting ourselves with that part of ourselves, then we, we, we have the potential to soften and to be friended and to move to, to move through it and to, to help it um, move from that rigidity to the flexibility.
1: Yes. And we all have that ability, right? From a young age, you are very flexible and open to what's going to happen next. You're very curious about the world and your place in it and how things work and all of the questions you know when your children get to a certain age the questions never end (laughs) and why Um, why (laughs) why (laughs) but it's such an important stage that uh, human beings go through and I think if we think back to uh, a time when we were able to be that way that can also help in that reflection to go okay so I've done this and expected this but now I'm just going to keep doing what I do best, reflect on it, and just allow what to happen to happen. Like allow what's going to happen to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot. There's a lot to unpack, and just even, you know, one emotion. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that as we move through it, I will be able to recognize, and I hope that you will too, ha- what that feeling is when it comes up. Um, is it curiosity? Is it interest? You know, is it frustration? Is it disappointment? And then being able to label that on the map of my own emotions, move from there.
3: Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard the expression curiosity killed the cat? <laughs>
1: <Yes>. <laughs> but they have nine
3: lives. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that, that's a very negative, that gives negative meaning to to it. And I don't know where I heard that, but I, that's a saying that is in my mind. So somewhere along the line, I was given the mes- message that it's not safe to be so curious all the time. And so um, that can bring in the need to be a bit guarded and ar- you can armor up if you think curiosity is a negative thing, right? But wow, it is not. We need curiosity to grow and to learn. And even if we make mistakes, we don't have nine lives, but we can make mistakes, right? And then we can learn from them.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. We, we learn at a young age because we are always asking questions to not ask questions
0: right mm-hmm. and some of
1: us are better at continuing to ask them anyways <laughs> yeah or you know some of us then go okay this is not okay for me to do i shouldn't ask questions and so then they become the students in the back of the class that don't want to speak up or don't want to ask those questions which you know that's the key to understanding is asking the questions
3: or or people have been shamed because they have the wrong answer or they didn't get it right so if if the, the fear of being shamed can stop can really you know crush curiosity
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
2: there is so much to unpack like yeah. you said april in just and this one word. little <laughs> word one little word right mm-hmm. and and um it's something that Brene said she talked about language being um, almost like a magical portal. Yes. Right. And, and sometimes how we, you know, sometimes naming an emotion, there's a sense that um, there's a sense that it will give the emotion power, right? So if I'm feeling, you know, disappointed, as an example, I don't want to say it because, you know, I, I imagine in my mind, that I'm going to give that power. But in fact, it's the absolute opposite. It gives us the power to make some change. with these emotions. So, and I just loved that when I heard her say that, because it's it's absolutely true. And it's one of the reasons why we're doing the podcast, right? And it's one of the reasons why we're exploring it With ourselves and with each other, because there is magic in being able to create a space for that exploration and to better understand the way that we use language.
1: Absolutely, absolutely very well said and. um, uh, Just to uh, extend on that. It also allows us to open up entire universes, she says, right? So I have that uh, marked here, the language is our portal to meaning making connection, healing, learning, and self-awareness. And, and it also does, yeah, it, it gives us the power, but then it also opens us up like we've been talking about, right? It opens us up to so many different um, spaces and opportunities. And I think that that's a really great place to to end our conversation. Um, I really look forward to the next two chapters. And I think that as we move through this, uh, this book and have these amazing creative conversations that we will be able to reflect more ourselves. And also hopefully our listeners will be able to Um, reflect and be self, you know, self-compassionate as they move through and, and carry on, carry on these um, wonderful uh, opportunities and, and put them into action in their own lives, as I hope I will.
2: Mm, Beautifully said, April. And I would also say, and the opportunity to, to build and create connections and deepen those connections thank you to you both for such a wonderful creative conversation
3: and we thank our listeners as well and we hope that as we dive into these words and concepts that you're able to rumble with us with like Brene talks about you know rumbling and I love that word because um, if we do, we look at all the words we we discussed today, if we can just let that you know them rumble around inside of us and make meaning, it really will impact how we show up. And we would love, also, the three of us would really love to hear your, you know, to hear what you want to talk about, to hear what this done for you. So please drop us a message or a comment in the link below, and we would love to engage in these conversations with you as well
1: thank you absolutely thank you till next time till next time
0: thank you for tuning in to today's podcast if you have enjoyed today's discussion please like comment and share with others we invite you to explore the many other returning to real conversations with rich insights and practices to guide you on your life's journey